Welcome back to Work Woman. Today is a special day because I have the amazing Kinder Hall on Work Woman. She is going to talk about all things stories, her new book coming out, uh, and we're going to dive into why you need to buy this book today because it's going to be incredible. But Kendra, welcome to Work Woman. And Natalie, I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe it's taken us this long to do a podcast because I've known you now for, has it been five years? I was trying to do the math. I think it was a 20, yeah, it was either 2017 or 2018. I mean, I kind of blurred 2020 and 2021 together. So right. I count that as just like one lumpy year, but somewhere in the 17, 18 timeframe, that's when we first met. I like that it's a lumpy year. I, I'm going to start using that. It was just, it was a lumpy year, but now we're back. We're in 2022 and the lumps are smoothed out. Smooth sailing from here. Can't wait. Already, already excited about it. So we met because Brandon hired you at his previous company, Audigy Group. You are just so dynamic. I wish people on a podcast could actually see and hopefully they will see you speak in person because I just remember you coming up on stage and you had this purple dress on and these beautiful heels and you're just powerful you're like your stature how tall are you do you mind me asking this me asking I'm only five I'm five four yeah five four I told you I wasn't gonna ask any salacious, salacious <laughs> no, that's, that's salacious that's great <laughs> that was gonna be yells, as salacious I know yes. it was about I don't know there may be like three inch heels or but not platforms so yeah five four you just like you you have you pack so much punch. And I remember watching you walk out on stage and I hadn't met you before that. Your speech was incredible, but you just have such an incredible presence. And I know stories have been part of how you've transformed and how you've started really your career. And so could you kind of walk me through how you even got started talking about stories to begin with? Yeah, I uh, I mean my I told my first story when I was 11. So I was one of those people who who the my path kind of found me, I guess you could say. Uh, it was an assignment for fifth grade. So I took a children's book and I went and told the story to a third grade classroom. And um, I remember in that moment watching the third graders who at the time were, it was like the end of the day, it was the end of the school year, they were bouncing off the walls, there was just no hope to get their attention. Um, and within the first few sentences of the story, they were right there with me. And I remember thinking, it was kind of an awkward time. My son is a fifth grader right now, and he's definitely trying to figure out like who he is, who he isn't, who he is in comparison with the people around him. It's that natural, it's kind of the beginning of the teenage years and then the progression that we make from there. And so, you know, I was, I wouldn't have called it identity back then, but I was struggling or questioning or like, who, who am I going to be? Mm. Um, and, you know, to, to, have that experience of simply telling a story and watching everyone respond and listen and care, even though they were third graders, uh, it was a really clear moment for me that I was onto something pretty powerful. Now, of course, I still had to go to sixth grade and on through the rest of you know my education. However, storytelling um, continued to be a big part of my life from then on. At first it was telling for fun at like friends. Like I remember my friend 
in like late junior high hired me to tell stories to for her little sister's birthday party. Like it was one no of my way. first, I know I kind of forgot about that until just now. So, so it was something I was doing for fun. And then, and I got really involved with this community um, called the National Storytelling Network, where there were a lot of storytellers. I went to the National Storytelling Festival and it was much more in the art of the story. And then throughout my education, my thesis was on the role of storytelling in organizations. My job out of college was sales and marketing, and it was always all about the story for me. So eventually, I would say, Natalie, it was a long time of being like, people don't get this. They don't understand the power of stories. Somebody's got to teach them. And I finally realized it was supposed to be me. So here we are. When you think back to, okay, you were in the fifth grade and your education was in this, but like, was there a moment in between that where you just felt confident and do you still feel confident or sometimes do you not feel confident? Because I still don't feel confident sometimes telling stories. You know, it's so funny because I was on a podcast just yesterday and it was a different kind of podcast than I've typically done. Um, They were asking me about stories that I haven't told before and mm. and that I hadn't really I'd never thought of in that way so I was telling stories like for the as they were coming out of my mouth and and you know like usually I know what the message is I you know I can prepare a little bit and I do recommend like if we're talking about strategic storytelling which is what my first book is all about storytelling in business what stories you need for sales or marketing, or if you're networking, or if you're leading a group, whatever it is, if you're presenting yourself in an interview, um, those are stories that are very intentional there. You can be, you shouldn't do it on a whim. So Mm -hmm. yesterday I'm recording this podcast and I realized afterwards, I was like, wow, I, You know, like there I was telling a story for the first time and I could go back and say, oh, I would have done this. I would have done this. I would have done this. But even for me in the moment, um, I wasn't it wasn't my best storytelling endeavor. So so I say that to say, um, don't feel bad if this is Mm -hmm. something that you feel like you aren't great at, because even someone who does this for a living can on some days, some topics, some stories say, ooh, I wish I, I could go back and do that a little bit differently right now. Now you may listen yep. to it and you would never know. I listen right. to it and I know. So, but I do think that there are a lot more people who feel as you do. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not good at telling stories. I don't know what to do. And that was really something that was a, a problem I wanted to solve. And I call it a problem because it's a misconception in that a, like storytelling is a talent that some people have and some people don't. And if you're just someone who doesn't have that talent, then, then all the powers that come with storytelling aren't available to you. And that's simply not right. the case. Um, it's something that with practice, and I'm sure Natalie, over time, you've gotten better as you've been really intentional about the need for your stories and what you want your stories to do. I'm sure you feel more confident now than you did five years ago with the stories that you tell, right? For sure. But I still yeah. don't feel, I would say even 80% confident in like these stories. And maybe it's a false you should let, like, let me know. 
it, I've heard the narrative of why stories are so important. And I've always told myself, I'm not a good storyteller. I'm married to somebody who can just like tell the best stories with the greatest level of yeah. detail. Those like cornerstone stories of Natalie in the workplace to be able to, you know, convince and persuade people to do something. Like, I don't feel I have those really worked out yet. So those are two different things. And it's so interesting that the way that you're talking about this right now, because this then bridges into what the, my next work has been about, which is all about the stories we tell ourselves. So here you are telling yourself a story that you're not a good storyteller. Like, and you right. just said, like, I tell myself, I'm not a good storyteller. You point to your husband, who's a great storyteller. So there's yes. that comparison. So you're building these stories in your head. And yet, if you listened to the second part of what you just said, you just said, I don't have those stories worked out yet. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very different than not being a good storyteller. You just haven't worked them out yet. So maybe it's taking that message of uh -huh. I haven't worked them out yet. And what are other times in your life where you were new to something, you hadn't worked it out yet, and then you got to work on it, you got better, and we're awesome at it. Tell yourself those stories to motivate you to do the work to get great at that set of stories that you want to tell. Amazing. Makes total sense. Yeah. And I, and I, and I see it. I just, it's one of the, you, you tell yourself something and then you don't get better at that thing. Right. Uh, Cause you're like, what's the, perpetuates. what's the, yeah. You're like, what's the point? What's the point of trying to get better when I'm bad at it? But it, it isn't even now, do you have a story, Natalie, that you tell or a couple stories that you've told and, and you saw that look in the audience eyes or, you know, you got the response where someone was like, oh, that story really stuck with me. Have you had that experience? I have had that experience. So see right there, then that is, and I bet you worked on that story. Like I bet you were really intentional about it. So that also is a story that you could tell yourself to say, wait, wait, hold on. I know that I have stories that when I tell them they're as good as anyone else, you know, or, or they do the job that I want them to do. If I can do that with those stories, I can do that with other stories. I love this. I, and so your, the content that you've created in the first book versus the second book, this is so fascinating because in my head, I, I put it in buckets where the, there should be solid stories that you use as a leader and in the business context that you have worked out and you have this amazing framework for how to put that together. Mm -hmm. But then there's the ability, which is kind of what you were talking about earlier, the ability to tell a story of something that just maybe happened in the lunchroom off the cuff. And that's a different type of storytelling. But then the third component, which is predominantly this new book that you've written that I can hardly wait to get my hands on. It's in the mail. I thought stories. you already got it. It's coming. It's coming to it's you. It's in the mail. I, that shame on me. I didn't answer the email fast enough to, okay. to get <laughs> like, the, the mailing address. Yes, but I know it's on its way. That's confirmed. But this book is all about the psychology of storytelling. Tell me more about what, what yeah. this is. So, so I like this idea of two different buckets. So of course my expertise is and expertise, like this is just the thing I was put on this earth to do is storytelling, yeah. whether I like it or I tried to run away from it for years of my life. Like, oh no, I'm going to be, but it kept catching up to me. This is what I do. And so if the first 
book and and where my research started was all about the outward stories that we tell, whether they are on stage, whether they are in meetings, whether it's in marketing copy or sales pitches or interviews. Those are the outward stories. And as you said, I provide a framework. We did research on what makes a great story. All of that is there. As my work progressed and, you know, I had the opportunity to share messages live in front of people, thousands of people for years. So you get to you get a sense for what is working and what they want more of. And this next book- Can I really- just interrupt you real quick? So the thousands of people you've talked to, can you like just do a little shameless promotion of like the thousands of people, like who, who um, you talk to? I mean, I talk across all different industries. So it could be in the medical sales industry. It could be a lot. I do a lot of work in financial services because I mean, they're- trying to sell the, anytime you're trying to sell the invisible, it's required that you use a storytelling. I speak for tech and like, like serious, serious tech for social tech, hospitality, um, entrepreneurial organizations, people who are building individual brands, and they're trying to do that on social media and uh, draw people in. So, so that that it's, it's such an exciting, um, it, it's exciting in that way because yes. one day I could be talking to this kind of person and this type of industry and the next day I'm, I'm speaking over here. So big, big companies, small companies, that's what, and now either on the, you know, on a stadium stage or from the comfort of my bedroom in my apartment in New York City, like that's, that's what that looks like now. So. You are a total expert in talking to such a large variety, but like for people who might not have heard you before, yeah. just, I think podcasts are so funny for people like you, because you just like, there's, there's so much there and they don't see it, but you guys have to check out Kendra and her Instagram and everything that she puts out there just to like, get a sense of where the experience is coming from that she's going to just dive into. So that's my little tip for the listener. But oh, get back I love that. To- I love that to the book. The second, so the second bucket, right? So it's all these people. And um, I would always include this message at the end of a keynote that said, you know, so now you know about the importance of storytelling, how to do it, what it is, the stories that you need to be telling, where to tell them, how to find them. But the most important story is always going to be the one you tell yourself. And I would just kind of mention it. I would share a story um, that kind of puts that into context. And that is what, I mean, of course I would hear about, oh, I'm going to put this into practice. And it was, it was great, but people would come up to me afterwards and share with me all of the limiting stories that they tell themselves that Mm -hmm. keep them stuck where they are that um, make them afraid, that um, in, and in some cases, it's just as simple as that keep them from enjoying their life as mm-hmm. it is, you know? And so, and we, we heard it from you right there. I'm not a storyteller. And you have this, you have this limiting belief that you, that, it, that just follows you around and yep. you have different pieces of stories or experiences from your own life, um, from watching other people that add up to that. And those stories replay every time it's time for you to step into a new story or step up in a different way. And 
I'm sure eventually you do it because you have to and because that's the kind of woman you are. But it would be a lot less painful process if you weren't trying to overcome this belief and these stories that you can't do it. So the next book was not the book I expected to write, but it clearly became the message that I felt was what needed to be shared. And that is the power our stories, our inner stories have. And once we get control of those inner stories um, and actively participate in what those stories are, uh, everything can change in our life. And not just from a business perspective, not just speaking or any goals that you set in your life that could be health and fitness. It could be money stories. It could be stories about relationships, stories with your family and parenting, like all of our lives are stories. And um, so that's, that's that second bucket. That's what this new book is all about. I love how you tie in what I experienced even for that hour and a half, you know, five years ago, because you're right. Your original gift of and calling really for telling stories immediately opens you up for people to relate to you and then want to ask you advice about the stories that they have. Mm -hmm. And so I can so see how, yes, you're talking about this on stage and you're giving like these tools and these really tactical ways for somebody to create stories, to make more money and to sell. But ultimately it pivots like the person in the audience, yes, they want to learn that, but then they're confronting this very personal journey. And it's likely that they don't feel safe talking to many people. Like I can't say that I start many podcasts off by saying whatever my limiting beliefs are, but that's because of the way that you have put this content together. And it really is, as you explain that, like so masterful in how these things connect with each other. So it's interesting how cyclical it can be because once you are once you master your own stories, which by the way, there's never, you don't get a certificate where you're like, and now my stories are mastered. Like if anything in these- Oh, I've been waiting for the certificate. I know, it's it's not- It's in the mail, they lost it. It did not get lost there. The mail loses a lot of things, but that certificate (laughs) is not coming. And I would say even in the process of writing a book all about mastering your inner stories, if it's done anything, it's bring to light more of my own stories. And even just today, I was like in spin class and there was just this story that it wasn't a story. It was like a message that came out. And I now know to say, hold on, hold on. I think I think there's a story there. Now, I haven't done the work on finding what that is because it just happened like two hours ago. I'm still a little sweaty from the spin <laughs> class. But, but what happens is, is once you are more intentional about mastering your inner stories, you also, it leads to compassion Mm. for other people and the stories that they are carrying around with them. And once you do that work, and people get a sense that you're going to be more compassionate because you've had to be more, let me tell you, this inner storytelling work requires self-compassion in a way that you don't expect, but they can see that you've done that work and then they feel safe sharing their stories with 
you, even the ones that start with a limiting belief, imagine what that, so what I say about cyclical is imagine what that then means in an organization. Imagine what that means when we're trying to do team building and we're trying to connect with, you know, and you're doing half virtual, half in the office, and how do we create a culture? It's got to start with you as a leader, understanding your stories so that your team, so you can be more compassionate to the stories your team is carrying around so that your team can feel that and be more open to you. And then we can all make progress. I love that because of my own stories in the corporate environment, very much remove my stories from it, because I think that that's not what people want to hear from. Like they want to hear about how to build a team. They want to hear about all of these things, but I consciously know that that's incorrect, but subconsciously I, I still default to that place where people don't want to know my story. And what's funny is I just had a conversation last night with one of our leaders in our organization and we're, we we've grown significantly. Um, we have a lot of people in our office and it's a new office environment. We just all, we've been working together for two years, but there are 40 new team members walking around here that we've wow. never actually spent physical time with. Yeah. And, uh, she and I were brainstorming, like, how do we connect these team members? How do we get that camaraderie? And she said that she was presenting at an event a couple weekends ago. And many of the new team members came up to her and said, wow, I didn't know that part of your story. And it opened up these conversations that yeah. wouldn't have happened. And the, the event was for the clients. It wasn't for the team, but this is like getting all of my juices flowing about how do we incorporate our team members stories in a way that allows them to feel safe and bonded and trusting of us. But then also it's like the part two, which is what you're really diving into now of that's where like the story is what has happened and where they've been. But now the story of what it looks like in this new environment and this new workforce with a post COVID era and this new yeah. business that they're in, like, how do we open up that development? Yeah. And I don't and, know that you would necessarily have the answer. It's like very, maybe you do. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of great tips on that. Well, but I mean, what you're even right there. I love that your team member had that experience that people, because you're not, you're not the only one not, and I see this happen so often in in companies, when you're in an executive role, you feel like you're supposed to be there to talk about the work that you do. Mm -hmm. But until you're talking to robots, and that's that's all your team is made up of, humans want to hear the stories. And they don't, they don't know that they do. They'll even tell you that they don't. But your stories are what they're going to remember. Now, I recommend for any leader in any organization to, again, like that where I was just like rattling stories off that. I, and now I'm going back and thinking, what story is <laughs> out in the world about me right now that I didn't, um, that I, you know, I didn't fully think all the way through. You so didn't get a certificate on. <laughs> that was, that was not certificated, but, um, which I, that is now a word. We'll put that out there, but, um, that you can be thinking about and these stories that share that open you up. And it's true, the to your open you up to the team that you're leading and then to encourage that kind of um, story sharing. So so however, however that is, however that's possible in um, your organization, I mean, it really could be something as simple as you have everyone write down um, the worst 
family outing they were ever on or, you know, their favorite childhood memory or even, you know, and it's hard because you don't want to put anyone in a place. So maybe give a couple of options so that Uh people can be like, I don't really feel comfortable talking about my family. I am going to Mm -hmm. opt for this one. I think that's a, I think that's good in, in an effort to create a safe space. Um, But then also those inner stories, the better you are as a leader to, to recognize that people are just really a big mass of stories. And, and when you are like pushing back because you don't want to, you're like, well, I'm going to, and someone's saying, no, Natalie, you need to, you should tell this story. And you're like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, you're like, I'm just going to do this and this that they can say, Natalie, I know that you might think that you're, and I just keep coming back to this one limiting belief that you have, but it's, we'll, we'll just go with it. But I know that you might think that this is true. However, remember this time when you told this story and remember that time when you did this as a leader, you can remind them of the stories that, that, that break down that belief that's keeping them stuck. And as a leader, if your team members are stuck, you're screwed. Like your job is to get them unstuck so that they can reach whatever levels it is. For sure. And I think that is oftentimes just totally missed because I also, you know, I love, I work with a lot of men. I love men. I don't think that storytelling and you're the expert, but I don't think the storytelling is uh, more towards one gender or the other, or as many genders as there are. But, uh, you know, I think sometimes it takes fearlessness in order to be the first person in an environment who's willing to share. So you have the the element of the first story, the story that sticks, but it's also in developing that confronting that you have to be the person that's fearless and what so you're you're doubting the story to begin with because most people are terrified of public speaking and they they don't want that attention. So you have to master that, but then also the confront of, well, nobody else is doing this around me and I might have to be the first person who's going to open up in this way, or I have to do that first and then hope that they're going to be responsive to my message. And so all of this stuff just unpacks and I'm, I'm certain that it creates, I know it creates individual dynamics for team members, but for you to be able to empower people with the tools and tips around overcoming both dynamics, like mm-hmm. it completes, it completes the picture. Cause it is both things always happening at once. Yeah. And, and it really is, I mean, the most important thing, no matter people's differences, no matter who they are, where they came from, the beautiful thing about stories in general is that again, this is a, human experience. Like there are, from the beginning of humankind, uh, our stories were what allowed us to evolve as a species, to deliver knowledge and information in a compelling, memorable way so that it would travel through generations. And additionally, when it comes to the inner narrative or the inner storyteller, it was, you know, you you were constantly monitoring who, what, what behaviors were safe, what is going too far, what is okay. You know, we had and and oh, I can say this, but I can't say that. Like that, that started because back in the you know, the beginning of our species, if you were the one that was 
going too far out. You know, you were like, oh, I know that we have a good here, but what's on the other side of that hill? Um, you'd get kicked out and you'd be alone and you would die because you couldn't survive on your own. So we, so, so this idea of the external storytelling and the inner narrative, again, they are programmed all the way in us. So when I hear, and I understand like, when the stakes are highest, we want to default back to what we know, the facts, the figures, the information that needs to be delivered. It seems like pretty risky business to put a lot of your stakes in telling a story. Um, but that fearlessness that you were just talking about, I, I think if I can offer any encouragement, it's that you are human and the people you are talking to are humans. And if you can be the first one, I mean, storytelling has to start somewhere. And how cool would it be if it started with you? Love that. Awesome. Uh, question. Very important question. What is your favorite chapter in the book? And was it the one that was also the easiest or the hardest to write? Um, so my favorite chapter in this new book, and I was surprised by it, um, is actually the last chapter, not the conclusion, um, but the last chapter. So the book, it starts, there's three parts of the book. So the first part of the book is really establishing the science of inner storytelling and why, you know, why it's so hard for us to why it's so hard for us to get control of our stories, but why it's so important that we do because ultimately our inner stories shape our lives. Like that, depending on the stories you're telling yourself, that's what your life will look like. And if you're looking at someone and wondering like, how did they get there? My guess is a big part of that success and whether they, no matter where they came from, they could have started way behind you, but it was monitoring the stories they were telling themselves. So that first part of the book is the importance of self stories. The second part is a pathway for doing it because I didn't like stories that stick. I don't want to just say to you, go tell more stories in business and you'll be better. I want to like show you how, so that if you're someone who thinks you can't do it, that's that talent versus skill thing. Now you have the checklist, the path. So the second part of this new book, choose your, choose your story, change your life is the path. And then the third part, it breaks down into five chapters. And I said, it's the last chapter that's my favorite, which are like the five key areas of life and the way our self stories show up in those different areas in unique ways and how you can like strategies for then managing it. So it's stories for business and career, um, money and finance. That's a big money is a big story, uh, health and well-being, um, love and relationships. So much story happens there. And then the last chapter is family and parenting, which again, I wasn't expecting this to be my favorite chapter, but I think that, you know, as a woman, as a proud mother, as an entrepreneur, as someone with great professional ambitions, um, and then add that to, you know, raising two children in a pandemic in New York City and whatever. So it was just a very real, like watching, watching my stories about what a parent looks like 
and how that impacts and makes me feel in my life um, and what stories to hold on to and what stories to shed and create my own um, stories about my, my, my children and how to help them. And I think maybe parenting is my most, I, I see it almost as a leadership in a way, like they, it's oh, similar. Yeah. And that's like where I am being a leader, like an active hands-on. And um, so I actually think that that chapter would probably apply well to like leadership in general, Uh, but it ended up being, it was the chapter that just actually, it was the chapter that I had to basically cut in half because it was too long. Um, It just flowed right out of me. And you know, you've written a book, sometimes it flows and sometimes it does not, so. (laughs) Sometimes it's very dry, yeah. but that's, that's so interesting with, you know, first of all, I don't know how any mother does what she does, but, you know, I think moms are superheroes and how moms who juggle everything that is being a mother, but then also the other roles and specifically the other roles that you have. And then on top of that, the pandemic, I just, I can't, I can't quite imagine what that was like. And I, I'm not a mother, but I've heard from my friends who are mothers that, you know, there's just judgment and there's people that have so many ideas on top of the ideas that you have about your own mothering skills and what your mom did, et cetera. But it's like, I have this mentality that you and the, especially the mother role that you have of, of all of them is like the most badass, coolest, most challenging. And yet I feel like most people don't really talk about how they navigate that. So I think that's really cool that you really put some energy into creating that path. Cause it's just, it seems like there's a void of that content, especially in a pandemic sense, uh, in, in that, in, in today's society. And it really does come down to it, Natalie. I think the thing that was so important and not just in that chapter, but in the book as a whole is the power of owner, two things, the power of ownership and the power of agency. And mm-hmm. once you get to this place where you, and you hear it, like, I mean, you'll see it on like inspirational quotes on social media or whatever, like own your story, but but when you really do the work to uh-huh. analyze where these stories are coming from and how you feel about them and why they're there and and you know like when you're when you start really breaking down the stories that you're carrying around with you and you don't even know it um and you you can't change them that's why the book isn't change your story change your life it's choose your story change your life once you once you wrap your head about around what they are and then who you are and who you choose through the stories that you seek out, the stories you tell yourself, who you choose to be, all of that judgment, and this is true again in all things, when you truly have ownership of your stories, good, the bad, and the ugly, the crazy, mm-hmm. the whatever, however you want to call them, all those other judgments, they aren't, you don't have to work for them to fall away. They just don't. They just don't matter. Now, every once in a while, you'll get one from somebody that does like they there's someone, you know, like my mom can say something to me and it gets me right. Like, and she doesn't mean to, and I know she doesn't even, but you know, moms, moms can do that. Like, that's what they, and it's like little, like little sentences, stupidest things, the stupidest things. It is like, well, where, why I just, yes. So 
But for the most part, when you own your stories, the way you interact with the world or the way the world affects and also interacts with you just changes. It, it, it changes. And once, and I think also people get a sense when they, they know that you're a person who owns your stories and not just, again, you're not just marching around saying, I own my stories, but you like really do, you know what they are, you know, where they come from, you know, what's good, you know, what's bad, you know, what, you know, like, you know what they are. The world responds to you differently because now you're not a part of the the noise you're not a part of the manipulation you are operating from you and then the agency aspect of it is it really is up to you to actively curate and choose the stories you're telling like this your future is up to you and it is built on the stories you have on repeat in your mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. Okay. So for the people who are listening to this right now, if they, would you say, okay, I have a two-part question. Would you say that anybody, unless they've done really deep work around this has work to do around choosing their story? Yeah. I, you know, I would say there is one person this book is not for, and it's uh-huh. not for a person who isn't willing to make a change like they they don't either either they don't like if you're right where you are and you're completely happy then you yeah then you don't there this is anybody who has felt stuck and again in any area of life um chance and you can't quite figure out what it is this book will help and then the second the other person that this book is for is for someone who's who's saying, I think I've got some bad stories going on in here. I don't know what to do about them. So yep. this book is for them. But yeah, the, just the person who's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to change. I don't need change. I'm not open to that. This, this won't, this, this will just irritate you. So I would recommend you not. I mean, honestly, like it just, it will, yeah. it's not, it's I not get it. You're not going to like it. So that person probably hasn't made it this far in the podcast. Maybe they are. If you're still here, we love you. We welcome you. Yeah. Cheers. Change to ideally want to grow and develop maybe someday, maybe not. But for the people who are on listening to this and they are like, man, I do have some stories. I identified that I have this feeling that you're talking about. What is the one thing that they could do right now today in order to start to make that work happen? Yeah, I would say the number one thing you can do is catching your stories in the act, stopping the automation. So it's really important that you know that this, you know, just like our ability to breathe and for blood to flow through our veins, so is so are the stories in our minds. Um, and so they get away with anything they want because you don't even have to, you don't even think about them. Um, so your number one thing that you could start doing today is catching these stories in the act. So, um, and maybe you can just do it on a whim. Anytime you're like, Ooh, no, I can't do that. There's a story there. That's an indication that there's probably a bigger story there. Um, anytime like today, if you feel yourself, uh, procrastinating something, chances are 
there's a story there. There's a reason that you don't feel, if it's something that you're really supposed to do, like if it's something that just sucks, like I'm procrastinating cleaning the toilet, fine, that's different. But if it's like, I, for example, I have this email that I'm supposed to send and I've been supposed to send it for like three months. And I just like, don't have the, I just, so I know, again, this is, I'm still a work in progress. We all are like, I need to sit down and set out a, a series of stories to tell myself of why I should send this email. So if you catch yourself procrastinating, chances are there's a story there. Um, and then the other thing is really, it's simple in that you could even just use the, you know, if you have one, a, a watch that tells you to stand up, it's so annoying. I have a ring that tells me to stretch my legs and a watch that tells me to stand up or sometimes breathe. Do they do I it at the same time? Is like no, they don't. <laughs> my my ring is okay if I'm lazier. My watch, it's it's ten minutes before the top of the hour every single time. It's always at oh, wow. the fifty. No, if you if Apple watches it, it goes off on the fifty, like one fifty, two fifty. If you haven't stood up, it's gonna give you ten minutes to the end of the hour to get you to stand up. My my ring is a little bit lazier. It doesn't really care. It's more <laughs> concerned about if I sleep. However, if you have some of those like super annoying alerts, maybe you don't think they're annoying. I think they're annoying alerts on your devices. Use that then also to say, do a story check. Be like. What story is happening right now in my head? Because again, there is your, it is never blank. We just never look. So just to start finding moments to make it a practice to ask you, that's what happened to me in spin class today. I was riding along and I was like, what story am I telling myself? And I went, oh no, I've got more work to do. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there you go. But I think that's so beautiful with, with, life and you know not to get all esoteric here but uh drake this is actually i'm not gonna get esoteric i'm talking about no, drake. just go like drake. drake are, are yeah, you a drake just, fan i'm not a fan i'm not okay. not a fan i'm not a non-fan i'm just uh -huh. but i i've heard about drake and i can i can i can go with you i can go with you here okay well drake made this instagram post recently i love drake i'm a big drake fan yeah i'm with his you. instagram post recently where he's like doing a pull-up and he has a shirt off and he didn't used to have a six pack and now he has like muscle and he has a six pack and his caption on this photo was the gift of hard work is more work. And for people who are scared to do the work and who are procrastinating the work, like for, for me, who I was even three years ago, like I would look at that and knowing that would actually prevent me from starting because mm -hmm. the reality is that, that that's, that's the truth. As soon as you start getting better at something or you have stories or whatever it is in your business or your personal life, your career, your finances, it's like, once you start making those progresses, if you don't continue it, you can go backwards. And, and for many people, it stops them from the beginning. And yet what I love about what you're saying is even you who are, who is like the most masterful, like I, women look at you as being so much more confident than they are. I mean, I remember first watching and like, I can't imagine being able to do what she does. And you are a mother, you've authored two books. Like there's so much that you do that even for you to feel this way, I, I think of that as like the greatest growth story of all time for you to say in a spin class this morning, oh, I have more work to do because it's the reality of the situation. It's never like these people yeah. are just 
they've arrived and they're done and they're happy and they're off in la la land. They're always going to be, there's always going to be this work that has to be done. And especially how this relates to stories there. I'm sure now that I'm going to be paying even more attention to this and in, in my, I'm going to read the book. So I have to like pay attention to it between now and when I get the book. And then when I get yeah. the book, I'm going to just dive in. It's like, okay, what, what work do I need to do? And getting excited and ready for doing hard work. That's going to create more work, but that's a really good thing. Well, and, and the good news is this kind of work, it is, I mean, it is hard, but there is some like, like easy early payoff too. Like you can, if you're working on, if there's like a small limiting belief as I was, I've seen people like even listen to a podcast or hear me speak about this or whatever it is. And just take that little book. The book isn't even out yet. They can't read the book yet. Right. When, when I was talking pre-launch, take this concept and make a tweak in the story they were telling themselves and see a massive difference in like one little issue that they were dealing with. So I always think that that's a good thing. Like if you can see progress right from the get-go, it's it's encouraging in that way. But then, yeah, you're right. That, that is, I, I like Drake, I, I will say, because it's true. What you get is more work. Converted you. I'm you did. I converted you. Just, I'm going to put posters that. up on my wall. It's happening. <laughs> uh, Kendra, it has been so great to talk with you. I want everybody to know where they can buy the book. Yes, the book. Well, you can find me on kindrahall.com. And there are, of course, links to both books there. Uh, but the book is, it's on Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon. It'll be in local bookshops. It'll be in Barnes and Noble. So wherever you like to get your books, that's where, oh, and even um, bookshop.org, which is a website where you can pick a local bookstore and support a local bookstore. They'll ship it to you. So pretty much everywhere books are sold. Very cool. And are you going to do an audiobook? Oh, it's already recorded. It comes out the oh same day. I wow. know. <laughs> that would, is... would you recommend people do audio or buy the, the physical copy? I I think, so here's what I've heard. I'm not an audiobook listener because I like to have a physical copy to write things down. And that's just how I prefer to read books. However, I know a lot of people prefer, the only way they can read books is if they're audio. Um, so... I would recommend however you prefer to read, read it that way. What I do know is a, I did hear from a lot of people from the first book that they ended up getting both, which I know sounds like a sales tactic, but the reasoning was there are, there are so many, um, I don't do the whole workbook thing as I, I don't know. It's just not my, but there are things that you may want to write down notes you may want to take. So it's valuable to have both the audio and then the book to write it down in. I love it. Well, I can hardly wait to get mine. It's so great to talk to you I think you, you actually guys. have a couple copies coming your way now that I think about it. I'm pretty so sure exciting. I signed like a bunch of them to you. I don't know why. <laughs> so great. I will give one to Brandon too. Yeah. Kinder, it was great talking with you. Thank you for being on the Workwoman show. And I look forward to all of the success and all of the stories that you are going to help people reshape. It's same to you, Natalie. I'll be cheering for you. 